We're very grateful to have all of you on this Heritage Day today, and we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture, well, several passages in the book of Joshua, the third and fourth chapters. So if you'd like to follow along in your Bibles, invite you to open them or open your Bible apps, and words will also be on the screen as we walk through those. Uh, But as Pastor Philip said a little earlier, we're starting a new series today called The River, and we hope that when you're not at a river this summer, that you'll be here in this place, and that if you happen to be away, that you might go online and listen to our sermon podcast uh, to keep up to speed on things as we journey through these next couple of months. We are blessed with many rivers in the Commonwealth of Virginia, the Roanoke, the South Anna, the Mattapani, the Appomattox, Rappahannock, the York, And of course, the river that gives the river city its identity, the James. And there are also lots of rivers in the Bible. So we will walk through some literal geographic rivers mentioned in the Bible. And we'll also look at some rivers that are figurative in our understanding. So we're excited as we begin this study today on Heritage Day. The passage you're probably very familiar with, it's the passage where Joshua, the successor of Moses, who has led the people of Israel through the wilderness, now leads the people across the River Jordan. And that's our little bit of context as we begin today. So we're going to look at Joshua chapter 3, starting at verses 5 and 6, and then verse 12 through 17. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went on ahead of them. Now then, choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan... Its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, this is verse 16, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up a heap in a great distance away in a town called Adam, or Adam, in the vicinity of Zarathon, while the water flowing down to the sea of the Arava, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. So Joshua called together the 12 men. This is chapter 4 now, starting at verse 4. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, 
to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. And verse 8, so the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua, and they carried them over with them to their camp where they put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. And then verse 24 of chapter 4. Joshua did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. The time had come for the people to cross over into the land that God had promised them. And in the Hebrew understanding, land was the fundamental good, the irreducible basis of life, joy, and fulfillment. God would give them this land. To keep the land, though, they must keep the law of God. So Joshua is now the leader. Moses has passed away. And God said, Joshua, it is now time for you all to move. It is time. Verse 2 of chapter 1 now then, you and all these people, get ready. Get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them, the Israelites, to the Israelites. And there were many, many people, scores of people, who would take this trip. They would have to bring their families and their supplies and their animals along with them. And you can imagine getting all of that across a riverbed. But the major problem was that the Jordan River, the river we're studying today was at flood stage but God said go go figure that God would give the instructions just at the time that the river was impassable doesn't it seem like that to you sometimes that God gives us an assignment when everything else around us makes it seem virtually impossible in my thinking God does that sometimes because we seem to depend on ourselves an awful lot. And when we see what appears to be impossible, we as people of faith have to trust God. So the river's at, at flood stage, the time of the grain harvest in the spring. Now if you were to visit the Holy Land today, you would see a Jordan River that is quite different from the one that the Israelites saw back then. Many countries use it for irrigation today. It is said that the Jordan reflects only 4 to 8% of its original size. So at that time that the Israelites were preparing to cross over, its flood stage may have been a mile wide. One commentator writes, crossing Jordan was rendered dangerous if not outright impossible. Short of a miracle, there was no way that the people would get across. So what were their options? And what are some of our options today as we face obstacles that might be challenging to our faith? One option was they could just camp out some more in the desert because the river is just too big of an obstacle. So we're just going to stay just where we are as we are. 
Or we could just go back to Egypt. We could turn around and just go back to the way it was. Slavery wasn't that bad after all. Better than drowning in the river. Or just give up. Many relatives had already died in the desert. We may as well just be like them. We're done. We're just going to give up. That's a, that's a way of, of thinking, but it's not God's way. That's what we would call desert thinking or a wilderness mentality. And as people of faith, then and now, God does not desire for us to have a wilderness mentality. So Joshua leads boldly and basically says, there's no turning back, people. The time has come. God has given us the instructions. We are going to experience his power and his providence. So what does God do here? God stops the flow of the river some 19 miles upstream. The people see a dry riverbed. The people upstream see a wall of water. Could you imagine what it would have been like to be up there in the town called Adam and the water piles up on a wall? It would be amazing. The people up there would be thinking, this must be an act of God. And the people of Israel see a dry riverbed and they are able to go across. And God is reminding them of what God had done back when he led the people across the Red Sea. See, some of them had forgotten. And as people of God, we must not forget what God has already done. Pioneers of faith left Bonaire. Pioneers of faith started a new church in a house. Pioneers of faith then went to Bonaire Elementary School and started a new church there. Visionaries saw this land and cooperated with denominational leaders and were able to purchase this beautiful, I believe we have 15 acres of land. And now you have this wonderful campus that we call Church Home. We must not forget what God has done because God is consistent in His character and nature and will do what God has done before. And that's what God is reminding the people of Israel of now. As you face the obstacle of crossing Jordan, remember what I did at the Red Sea. It's a wonderful message for us. And they crossed on dry ground. And in the Hebrew, the sense of it is repeated three times. The, the ground, the dry, actually four times. The ground, the dry, the ground, the dry, the ground, the dry, the ground, the dry. There's an emphasis of uh, there's no water here. God did a mighty work. And I believe that this next generation of people needed a reminder of God's power and God's providence. Crossing Jordan would transform form them from a wandering people in the wilderness to a nation of people who were landed. It's so important to know this history, and it's important to know our history. Spiritual markers along the way. Many of you have been here a number of years, and you know the history, and you see the spiritual markers. And those who are new, it, it's wonderful to go on the website and read the history and see some of the photographs that members of the church have taken time to post under our history. It reminds us that God is always at work around us, that God is always upstream, that God is always ahead preparing the way, 19 miles upstream, doing a mighty work so that the people downstream could cross over. But here's the catch. Isn't there always a catch with God? He requires things of us 
as he's working, he requires things of us. God will work in our lives when our lives are prepared for that to happen. Let me repeat that. God will work in our lives when our lives are prepared for that work to happen. At the very beginning of the narrative, in verse 5 of chapter 3, Joshua gave the command, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Consecrate yourselves today to prepare what God will do tomorrow. God is asking His people to do something today spiritually to prepare for what He would do tomorrow. I believe that God does that even now. Prepare ourselves spiritually today as we grow in our faith to be ready to take hold of what He's going to do tomorrow. Now, in other words, if God's going to do something tomorrow, we've got to do something today. And when Joshua uses the word consecrate, he says to set yourselves apart, to be holy, to be dedicated, to be pure, to be separated from the rest of the world, to be a cut above, to be holy. He's saying, be holy, prepare yourself spiritually for that which God's getting ready to do. And he needs people with pure hearts. He needs people who are ready to follow him. In the, the scriptures, there are a lot of ways that we see holiness. The seventh day was set apart to be holy as a Sabbath. Mount Sinai was a holy mountain. Priests were called to be holy and separated from the others. Israel was considered a holy people. Buildings and temple furnishings were dedicated and were set apart as holy. Animals were consecrated and set apart as holy for sacrifices. Holiness is linked to that which is separated uh, different from the rest of the world. The essence of holiness is the dynamic expression of the divine within the normal process of daily life. And as Christian people, we know that Jesus said, you are to be in the world, but what? Not of the world. In the world, students, young people, adults, in the world, but not of the world. We are different. And we consecrate ourselves today, daily we do this, to prepare for what God has in store for us tomorrow. So how do we do that? If you're taking notes and you want to write some of these down, how do we do that? With God's help, we seek to be holy because it's a command. God says, be holy in all that you do. God's given us a command that we are to separate ourselves from the rest of the world and be holy in all that we do. 1 Peter 1.15. And then we are, we are to be holy because God's holy. In 1 Peter 1.16, be holy because I am holy. Peter is quoting an Old Testament passage from Leviticus. Third, we're to be holy because God calls us to be different. Verse 17 in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear because we're different. And, and fourth, we are to be holy because of the cost. Peter says in verse 18 and 19 of chapter 1, 1 Peter, you are redeemed from the empty way of life by the precious blood of Jesus. So there's a command for holiness. We imitate God, the person of God. We're called to be different and there's a cost that's been paid by the shed blood of Jesus. And to seek to be holy 
We prepare our minds daily and we guard our hearts daily. We prepare our minds. We guard our hearts. We, we seek to follow God's ways, not the ways of everybody else or what is popular in the culture that particular day. People of church, this means we get right with God and we get right with each other. If we seek to follow God, if we seek to live into the plans that he has for us tomorrow, the, the, the members of churches, we've got to get right with God today and with one another today. That's an ongoing practice in our fellowship, in all fellowship in the church. We live a life of repentance and we daily confess our sins to God and to one another. We seek forgiveness and ask God's Holy Spirit to help us to stay on task. And we demonstrate this lifestyle in our daily lives. Consecrate ourselves today in anticipation of what God will do tomorrow. Because of our faithfulness today in Christ, tomorrow God will do something great. We will see the providence of God. It could be something small, it could be something great, but we prepare ourselves today to, to see what God will do tomorrow. God's running ahead of us. God is always upstream. God is always faithful. God sees what's coming. I believe that's why God instructed Joshua to have the stones taken out of the Jordan River and brought over to the other side. The people needed a reminder. How often have you seen something great or been involved in something wonderful that God has done and then it fades and then you just move on to the next thing? The memorial stones were a reminder of God's providence to the people. What do these stones mean? Chapter 4, verse 6. Joshua says, you are to tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and our ancestors crossed over. The stones are a reminder for us to tell the story over and over and over again, the story of God. As people of faith, we must leave stones behind to our children that they will pass them along to their children and their children's children. Deuteronomy 6, impress these stories on your children. Psalm 78, tell the next generation. Those of you who have been here for a long time, it is your responsibility to come alongside the next generation to make sure they know the stories of God and the stories of this particular congregation. It's important that they have an understanding of our heritage. We leave stones behind as a lasting legacy for those who will follow us. Peter tells us Jesus is the living stone. Obviously, we tell the story of Jesus, the living stone. And then we pass along stones of faith to those who come behind us, that as they become leaders in the church, that we will have the confidence that God has called them and they have an understanding of what God has done in this place. Peter says in chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also become living stones. As living stones, we leave a legacy for future generations and when you broke ground in 2013 on the expansion for the It's Time campaign, you did just that. Multiple generations gathered out in front of what is now the commons area and dug dirt to till the soil to break ground. This is holy ground. And then you gathered as Dr. Browning uh, continued to lead in, in worship 
And many of you had prayer stones, which were part of the ministry of the deacons that you had prayed over and written scriptures on and uh, sayings that were important to you. Some of you wrote your names on them. And then you brought the stones as a people of God and placed them in three receptacles. And after all of them were gathered, then the construction crew used those stones as part of the foundation of the new addition to the church. And they were laid carefully down into the concrete and are now permanently embedded under the commons area where we will gather after we worship on our way to the Family Life Center to have our meal today. It's wonderful. These pictures are all on our website. You can go back and look at them. It's wonderful to see. Thank you for giving this legacy that we can tell our children and they can tell their children to pass along the heritage of Huguenot Road Baptist Church. Living stones become lasting stones as a reminder of the greatness of God. Joshua 4.24, as we are reminded, He did this that all peoples might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and that you might always fear the Lord your God. How great is our God. Great is His faithfulness. How great is our God. How great is our God. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. And forever He reigns. Our God is unchanging, the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. People of Huguenot Road Baptist Church, may we consecrate ourselves today for what God will do. Not only do we have lasting stones given to us in Scripture as a memorial for what God has done. But we also have the elements of bread and cup that remind us of the one who is the living stone, the one who willingly gave his life that we might have life and have it in abundance. Jesus, he gathered with his disciples the night that he was betrayed, and he took bread and he blessed it and gave thanks and broke it and said, this is my body given for you. Take, eat. Just do in remembrance of me.